0: We've been talking about knowing the will of God. Last time we were together, we talked about different pointers to the will of God. Who remembers any of those pointers to the will of God? Or does anybody remember how many we gave? That's a good guess, Charlie. Charlie says seven and Charlie would be right. Now, let's see how many we can remember. Circumstances is one. Shannon? Godly counsel, Godly counsel is two. Desire? Desires is 3 I Forgot We've got the primary ones, yes? Okay. The Word of God, Scripture, that's number one. Prayer. Very good, you read well. That's five. Two more. Peace. Peace. And... This must not be a crowd that's using this last one. Godly reasoning. Reasoning. <laughs> reasoning. Now, what I want to do tonight is I want us to look at some examples of individuals in the Bible. And the topic I picked was relocating, okay? Because I figure in a church like ours, all of us are used to having done that a time or two, right? And I want us to look at some examples of those who sought the will of God, and some who did not seek the will of God, some who made the right choices in the process of relocating, some who did not, and look at their mindset, if you will, of the choices they made, and then the results of the choices they made. And I think this will help us I believe what this will do is help us get a better understanding of the importance of applying these principles of following the will of God in every aspect of life. Now, for Ronnie here, relocating is very simple for him. When Uncle Sam says, It's time to move, it's time to move. So he doesn't have to do as the rest of us would in that case of going through all these other principles of seeking godly counsel. I mean, if he were to come to me and say, "Pastor, I'm not sure if I should move or not. I got these orders. I, I, I think I know the answer, right? You better go, son. You better go, <laughs> right? Okay. Um, and godly reasoning would tell you that, and the scriptures would tell you that. And I, I promise you, in praying, God's going to show you. Yes, you better follow these orders. So. For him, it's easy, but I just, like I said, I picked this topic because I feel it's one that all of us can relate to. So let's start back in Genesis chapter 12. And also, the first time using this Bible, I had to pick a message in which we are going to be looking at many different passages. So forcing myself to get used to it. It's not even laying flat and open yet. All right, here we go Genesis chapter 12, starting at verse 10. And there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down into Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was grievous in the land. And it came to pass when he was come near to enter into Egypt. Then he said to Sarai, his wife, Behold, now I know that thou art a fair woman to look upon. Therefore it should come to pass, when the Egyptians shall see thee, that they'll say, This is his wife, and they will kill me, but they'll see thee alive. Say, I pray thee, thou art my sister, that it may be well with me for thy sake, and my soul shall live because of thee. And it came to pass that when Abram was coming to the land of Egypt the Egyptians beheld the woman that she was very fair and the princes also of Pharaoh saw her and commended her before Pharaoh and the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house and she entreated Abram and he entreated Abram well for her sake and he had sheep and oxen and he asses and men servants and maid servants and she asses and camels and the Lord plagued Pharaoh and his house with great plague because of Sarah Abram's wife And Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this that thou hast done unto me? Why dost thou not tell me she is thy wife? Why dost thou say she is my sister, so I might have taken her to be my wife? Now therefore behold thy wife, take her and go thy way. And Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him, and they sent him away, and his wife, and all that he had. All right, let's talk about Abram's decision here and his relocating. Why was Abraham relocating in this case? A famine in the land now was abraham commanded of god to move did abraham have a command from god i see his head shaking in the background in the back there al what was the command god had given him that's fine the beginning of chapter 12 god had told him to go to the land of the canaanites and to dwell in that land right now Did God say, now, Abram, here's some stipulations. If a famine comes, go ahead and move to Egypt. No. God has said, you move to Canaan, and you trust me in Canaan. Do we see... Okay, so we don't have a command of God for him to move, do we? Do we see Abraham praying about the matter? No. Do we see Abraham seeking any counsel in the matter? And we could go through all these. Now, Abraham had reasoning but I think the passage makes it abundantly clear that his thinking was not godly reasoning. As he's walking down to Egypt, he says to his wife, don't tell him you're my wife, tell him you're my sister, which is a half-truth, making it a complete lie, right? Because he's concerned about Abram. He's not even concerned about his own wife. That's pretty low. And that would not be considered godly reasoning, would it? Now, Could Abraham say, but I had peace about it, right? Because we hear that a lot, don't we? Could Abraham say, well, it was my desire, but it wasn't a God-given desire. You see, that's what I'm trying to help you understand is all these need to be working together. You can't just pick and choose and say, well, I have peace about it. I have a desire for it, but it goes against what God commanded. You never prayed about it. You never sought godly counsel. You don't have proper reasoning in the matter. You see what I'm saying? And and they all need to work together. And that is where we find Abram making this decision, which was a selfish decision, a convenience-motivated decision, because... Instead of staying in the land, trusting God, we're going to move to Egypt because of the famine. And by the way, don't really care what happens to you as long as I'm taken care of, saying to his wife. Would you all agree with that? All right. By the way, he almost lost his wife in this situation. But we do find something he gained, if you want to call it a gain. But through this trip, who now became the handmaid of his wife, Hagar. You see, there was long-term consequences for this decision that he made. Not seeking the will of God in this decision, and it led him to make choices that would have lasting consequences. Let's look at another example just one chapter over. In chapter 13. And Abram went up to Egypt, and he and his wife and all that he had, and Lot with him into the south. And Abram was very rich in cattle, silver, and gold. And he went in his journey to the south, even to Bethel, in the place where his tent had been the beginning between Bethel and Hai. And of course, we see that there was a strife between the flocks, uh, the herds of herdsmen of Abram and the herdsmen of Lot. And Abram says to Lot in verse 8: Abram said to Lot. Let there be no strife, I pray thee between me and thee, and between my herman and thy herman, for we be brethren, is not the whole land before thee. Separate thyself, I pray thee from me. If thou wilt take the left hand and I will go to the right, or if thou wilt depart to the right hand, I will go to the left and Lot lift up his eyes and beheld the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, even as the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as thou comest to Zoar. Then Lot chose him out of all the plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east, and they separated themselves, the one from the other. And Abram dwelt in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelt in the cities of the plain and pitched his tent toward Sodom. And of course, we understand where this led him, don't we? Now, Abram came to Lot and said, you get to choose. What do you think Lot's response should have been? You're my older uncle. You deserve the preference. You get to either choose, I'm going to defer to you to choose, or pick the worst for yourself and let your uncle have the best. Would make a proper decision, right? But he makes a material decision, a decision made about material gain. And verse 10 tells us, He lifted up his eyes and beheld the plain. And it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed it. Then Lot, verse eleven, chose of the plain of Jordan. He journeyed east, and they separated, and he dwelt in the plains and pitched his tent toward Sodom. Now, do we find him asking advice of his uncle? Do we find him praying in the matter? Do we find any command of God concerning separating from his uncle? Do we find godly reasoning? No, we find very materialistic, humanistic reasoning, don't we? But oh, I have a peace about it. Be careful with that one. I keep bringing that up because I hear that so often. Well, Pastor, I have peace about it. Yeah, and I can point five other things, ways in which you should be seeking the will of God that are going contrary to the peace in your heart. What did this cost, Lot? Cost him his wife, cost him most of his family, an incestuous relationship with his two daughters. All right, let's go to another one. Let's go to chapter 37. Now, here's a guy who's moving, but it's not his choice. We'll start at verse 23. Genesis chapter 37, verse 23. And it came to pass when Joseph was coming to his brethren that they stripped Joseph out of his coat. His coat of many colors that was on him, and they took him and cast him in the pit, and the pit was empty, and there was no water in it they sat down to eat bread and lift up their eyes and looked, and behold, the company of Ishmaelites came from Gilead with the camels bearing spicery and balm and myrrh going to eat, uh, carry it down to Egypt. And Judah said to his brethren, "What profit is this if we slay our brother and conceal his blood? Come let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let our, let our hand be upon him, for he is our brother and our flesh." And his brethren were content. So, they sell Joseph. Now, this was not Joseph's decision. He was moved by force by his brothers. Now, it is quite apparent by the account, his brothers, again, were not seeking godly counsel. His brothers were not praying about the matter. His brothers were not, actually, there was really not even a peace about the matter, was there? They were quite distraught about it. Matter of fact, some of the brothers, it wasn't even their desire. They had to be convinced to do so. So there is no pointers to the will of God for this. However, Joseph, on the other hand, when we get to chapter 50 and verse 20, as he finally reveals himself before his brothers, he talks about how they meant this for evil, but God meant it for good. Now, we need to understand something. Sometimes things are beyond our control. Joseph had no control over this matter, but the point we can learn from this move was that even though he had no control over the matter, God was still in control. So again, we can address one like Ronnie. He has no control over where his next duty station is, does he? He gets to put in a dream sheet, but that's why we call him that, right? Because that's all they are is a dream sheet. Did you have dream sheets in... Yes. And were they truly just dream sheets? Okay. So you know exactly what I'm talking about. Okay. And while you put in your dream sheet, ultimately somebody else is making that decision for you. But the beauty of the fact of being a child of God is God can use and move you where he wants you, even when you don't have a choice in the matter to put you exactly where he needs you. Joseph didn't have an option in this. His brothers were not doing a godly, seeking God's will in this, yet God overruled and still put Joseph exactly where he needed to be. And so I I wanted to bring this move into tonight's um, study for the fact of understanding that when things are beyond your control, remember he's still in control. And his will will still ultimately get done. As a child of God, he's going to put you and take care of things exactly as he sees fit. Because many times as we're seeking the will of God, there are things that are beyond our control, are they not? But let's rest in the fact that he still is in control. And so that's the point I really want us to see in the life of Joseph. He still saw the sovereign hand Of God in it all. All right, let's go to Exodus chapter 2. I'm going to see another guy that moves. Exodus chapter 2, starting at verse 12. Let's start at verse 11. It came to pass in those days when Moses was grown that he went out to his brethren and looked on their burdens, and he spied a Hebrew smiting, or an Egyptian smiting Hebrew, one of his brethren. And he looked this way and that, and when he saw that there was no man, he slew the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. And when he went out the second day, behold, two men of the Hebrews strove together, and he said to them, that did the wrong, wherefore smitest thou thy fellow? And he said, who made thee a prince and judge over us? Intendest thou to kill me, as thou killed the Egyptian? And Moses feared and said, surely this thing is known. Now when Pharaoh heard this thing, he sought to slay Moses. But Moses fled from the face of Pharaoh and dwelt in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. So we find Moses fleeing for his life, fleeing in fear because... He made a rash decision to kill the Egyptian. I love the way the passage says he looked this way and that. Let me tell you something. Every time it starts that way, anything in life, when you feel you got to look this way and that, you better stop and remember God still knows and God still sees. And so he looks around, doesn't see anybody, kills the Egyptian, but then finds out the next day that it's, it's known. Pharaoh finds out he's fleeing for his life. Now, I understand why Moses moved, okay? Right? He didn't want to get killed, staying in Egypt. However, and God used it in his life. However, it was because of a poor decision he made of why he had to now compound it with another decision. You follow what I'm saying? You know what I find sometimes in counseling? And I'm sure most of you have dealt with somebody's situation that this is the case is people make such a mess of their lives that no matter which option they pick at that point, there's no good option. You have to pick the best of the bad options. Have you ever noticed that in some people's, and let me tell you something, those are some of the hardest counseling to do because now you're helping them decide here's bad option. Number one, bad option number two, and bad option number three, but these are the only three options you have, so congratulations, you get to pick one of these three. Now, I don't say it like that, but try to help them sort through the best of the bad options. We actually see an example of this in Scripture. Many examples, but I'll give you one. Joshua was commanded to kill all the people when they came into the promised land, but the Gibeonites come and they make a pact with them. And so he has now made a promise to these people, we will not kill you. And then he finds out that they were deceptive toward him. So he chooses to honor it. Now, the truth is, if he kills them, he broke his pact with them. If he lets them live, he's broken his promise to God. Either way, he's still wrong. I still think he should have killed them all. We had a long discussion one time when I was in class about this. But the truth is, is Joshua, because he did not follow the will of God, did not seek God, ended up putting himself in a position where no matter what choice he made, it was a bad choice. We've got to be careful in that. Because we can find ourselves doing the same thing, and many people do. And let me tell you something, in the perverse, wicked society in which we live today, it is becoming more and more prevalent. People get themselves in such convoluted, twisted up, contorted messes that when they present it all to you, you're like, I have no idea what the right, the right thing to do in this case is. Let me tell you something, Christian, it's important we understand every decision in life has consequences, Every decision has consequences. And I need to be seeking God's will in every decision I make. Now, I saw two hands go up. All right, so we're going to stop this right here. And we have more for next week. And I hope, having picked the topic, because honestly, if we just tried to find the will of God throughout scriptures, we could be here forever. So I picked a particular topic, being those that moved and looking at some who moved against God's will, some who moved without seeking God's will, and we will look at some who actually moved according to God's will and see the difference in the responses and, and, and how they sought God's will and how uh, God blessed those that were doing it right, and, and, and obviously there was serious consequences for those not doing it right. And as I said, that there was, uh, many many examples of this throughout Scripture, so I thought it a good a good sampling, if you will, for us to examine and understanding, how does this apply to me? This is where I want to bring it down to. I'm trying to show you these examples so you can ask these questions of yourself as you're seeking God's will in your life. Does God's word have something to say about this? Have I prayed about this matter? Have I sought godly counsel? Weigh the pros and cons. Do your reasoning. Think it through. Do I have peace about this? Do I have a desire for this? All these need to be pointed in the same direction. And if something's askew and something is not right and you don't have that complete peace to follow, then you know what the answer is? Don't do it. It may just not be time yet. This may be something God is getting you prepared for, but if it's not time, don't move until you're sure. And not just moves, but I'm saying in any aspect of following the will of God. Okay? All right. Lord willing, we'll pick this back up and continue on looking through these. Let's stand and be dismissed with a word of prayer.